You're listening to The Onside Podcast, a podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and the theme this month is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our guest today is Marlon Thompson, an angel investor and startup founder who has spent several years creating pathways to success for underrepresented leaders in the startup ecosystem. He founded Future Capital to support ambitious, driven, and diverse leaders who are ready to play a bigger role in their industries. He believes now to be the crucial time to create lasting change by enabling and equipping a new cohort of investors, minorities, women, and LGBTQ with the necessary tools to bolster economic empowerment. Marlon, I'm so happy to have you here on the Onside podcast. It's a real treat and honor to, to welcome you to our show. Thanks, Alex. So I had the chance to share a little bit about your background, you know, uh, some of the things that you've done in your professional career, where you've worked a little bit. But I think, you know, maybe we could share a little bit more with our listeners today about the real Marlon, who who you are, where you're from, you know, what's what gets you going. And we'll we'll start off with that before we kind of get into a topic that I'm really excited to be sharing with you today and talking to you, which is around this idea of diversity and inclusion, especially in the innovation entrepreneurship ecosystem and startup ecosystem. So before we dive into to that topic, why don't you Give us the skinny on who Marlon is. <laughs> well, who am I? <laughs> what, a, what a hard question. Um, when I introduce myself, I usually start with, you know, like where I came from. So I'm from Toronto. I moved out to Vancouver, where I live now and today, about nine years ago. And yeah, I, I'm, you know, a founder, I'm a CEO, I'm a community driven individual, which <laughs> has been interesting over the past couple of years. And yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, of Trinidadian descent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about kind of where I grew up and okay. know, the background as well. Okay, well... Just, uh, you know, as a FYI, I don't know if you, you knew this, but this week I became a new Canadian myself. So I joined, yeah, so joined the family. So I appreciate all uh, <laughs> immigrants coming to Canada and, and making this a dynamic place. And so did you grow up and go to school in Toronto? Is that kind of your home base? And then you headed out west as sort of the go yeah, west. So, so I was born in Scarborough and spent half of my childhood in Scarborough, the other half in another suburb in, in Ontario, and went to university in London, Ontario, at Western University, formerly known as the University of Western Ontario, which mm. is what it's kind of etched into my brain as, and studied uh, literature and public administration, aka poli-sci. Uh-huh. And, I wasn't yeah, expecting I'm... that. <laughs> well, that means that that's only because we haven't had dinner together yet. Because <laughs> it would come up. You would expect it if we'd had dinner together. <laughs> um, and yeah, and after graduating from university, I went into fashion and apparel. Um, mm-hmm. Spent man- many years kind of building up my kind of managerial skill set, managing like fairly large teams with, you know, big American brands, Canadian and American brands mm-hmm. like Amer- Abercrombie and Fitch and Club Monaco. 
And I literally got a, call, a phone call one day from a colleague of mine. Um, her name's Jen, and she, she'll have a special place in my heart because she changed my life. She called me one day and said, hey, I'm joining this startup, and um, I think you should do it, too. Ooh. I'm in Vancouver. I'm in Vancouver. Would you move here? Oh. <laughs> like, and two weeks later, I moved to Vancouver. So oh, wow. it was really, yeah, it was really fast and kind of spontaneous, but I was really ready for a change in my life. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a bit about, you know, kind of like where I grew up and have been in Vancouver now for, like I said, nine years. And Okay. There's and, been yeah, lots of change in, in those nine years. Yeah. Sure. And so you got this call from your friend who must have made an amazing pitch for you to like <laughs> roll out after two weeks. And was it at that moment that you kind of got interested in the startup space and entrepreneur mindset and culture? Is that was that kind of like the first I find it really interesting because we've had other guests and a lot of them talk about how they ended up in this space. And yeah. a lot of times it's kind of um a kismet, something that just was meant to be or just by accident. It wasn't something that they had planned. And it sounds like you transported yourself. So is that how you ended up kind of in this space? I mean, I didn't even know what a startup was when Jen called me and asked me to come work for one. So Wow, that's a lot of love. (laughs) Yeah, it was, you know, I was, the, the truth is I saw it as an opportunity for upward mobility within my Mm. career and and that was really i I think that is really honestly Mm. a big part of what's what startups offer and and what what attracts a lot of like you know ambitious hardworking people to that environment is you you know you can go learn a bunch of things and be a part of this really cool story meet a bunch of really cool people but you can also really advance your career in a way that doesn't happen and conventional mm-hmm. um, co- corporate setting. So for me, I was kind of, re- I was really, really ready to do mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. in my professional life. And so that was kind of the incentive. And, you know, once, I mean, I think I probably, the first month, I, I think, like first month working at a startup, I think I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> what's going on? Literally what's going on. And, and then, you know, after that, I just, I like have never turned back. And I can mm. imagine that I, I won't for a long time because once I kind of got it and it clicked and I was like, oh, everyone here is just figuring everything out. <laughs> yes. um, I was like, this is cool. This is really fun. You know, I had a, I had a very similar experience where I just, I was at a point where I just wanted to try new things and mm-hmm. it wasn't maybe like two weeks. It was you know a couple months, but I, I was like, you know what? Now or never. And I jumped on board and started working with the startup. And you're right. Everybody was learning and growing and building the bicycle as they were trying to learn how to <laughs> ride it down a hill mm-hmm. around the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a really sort of dynamic environment. And you're you're right. You know, the thing you can gain all kinds of skills because you're you have to do different things. There isn't a department for pushing the pencils or something like that. Exactly, like exactly. you have to do all of the all of the things. So so was uh, when you ended up at this uh, startup and you're out in Vancouver and you kind of started to see sort of what it was like and it was exciting and you talked a little bit about this idea about upward mobility and you know being able to learn new skills, do new things. And you're involved with your new venture now, which is Future Capital. Can you tell me a little bit about how Future Capital came about? Because you have a, a mission there as well. And yeah. I'm I'm wondering if that's kind of tied to some of those ideas. It definitely is all tied together. I think 
from the moment I kind of landed in the startup and tech space and um, sort of working in this ecosystem through until the moment I started Future Capital. It was always this like super unlikely trajectory to wherever I ended up next. And so I remember working in that first startup environment. I got a promotion after I think like seven or eight months and that felt unlikely. And then after that, I got headhunted from, you know, another um, larger, really well-funded startup. And that was unlikely. And mm-hmm. and then I got the opportunity to work at Hootsuite to build out an accelerator with Ryan Holmes. And we had the likes of Michelle Romanov and Chad Bain and like all of these, you know, heavyweights on the board. And, and that was unlikely. And then mm-hmm. I ended up in BC. And so the pattern continued and building future capital was kind of the conclusion of all of these experiences and realizing Mm -hmm. that it shouldn't feel so unlikely Mm -hmm. (laughs) for me Mm -hmm. to be successful or Mm -hmm. for me to get into these roles that have decision-making power and where I can really influence like the outcome of things. And so Future Capital was really founded to create the conditions and the environment for underrepresented professionals to put their thumb on the scale mm-hmm. and venture in a really meaningful way. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would be happy to talk about how we do that and kind of where we're at in our journey as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, full disclosure, full disclosure, we've done some projects and mm-hmm. work together. And I think what I really love about your work with Future Capital is that you're really trying to create that space for all kinds of people to be able to enter into just even knowing about investing in startups, being a part of startups, getting some of the skills that are necessary, some of the benefits that you said, you know, maybe it's not for everybody, but some of that upward mobility, wealth generation, getting to be a, get, getting some equity in a startup can be wonderful mm-hmm. or, you know, nothing. <laughs> but uh, but if you don't even know about it or how to evaluate that opportunity, you're missing out. So I, I love that uh, Future Capital is providing this sort of entry point and, and more yeah. and a gathering place for people to talk about that. And I know with Future Capital, and I want to, you know, we'll be talking about diversity and inclusion. And you talked about this space for underrepresented founders, investors. And I know that uh, Future Capital has also made a commitment to try to get uh, more women involved in uh, Mm -hmm. investment as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, as you were thinking about some of these things, how did you decide to do that? And and what does um, great diversity, equity and inclusion look like to you? How does that manifest in the world? What how does that show up? First off, you and the team at Onsite have been there from the very beginning. (laughs) So (laughs) Thank you. I I actually don't know. We learned so much like working with you and and working with the folks at Sandpiper as well in collaboration. And I I honestly don't know if we would be here today if it wasn't for that early partnership. Uh And and so, yeah, that's 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 um, a big part of our journey. So thanks again for for betting on us like from the beginning. But um, yeah, I think, gosh, it's such a big question. But I have, you know, really strong perspective on it. I think diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that language is really, really important. And I think drilling down into what each of those things means is Mm -hmm. incredibly relevant today in 2022. But for us, it's really about changing the way people think about this asset class Mm -hmm. and in the process, changing the way people think about 
their relationship to money and wealth. Mm. And, and that's a big psychological shift. And I think we are part of a movement and a wave that we're seeing, you know, you look at like GameStop, what happened with GameStop in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, People are just demanding economic inclusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. we're here to help provide tools um, Mm -hmm. and education, information, access to really accelerate and enable individuals on, on their journey to getting what they deserve within the economy, which is a seat at the table. And so, mm-hmm. but to go back, you, you know, when we started, we we were totally focused on bringing women into venture. Like my background immediately before, before starting Future Capital was at a venture capital firm in Toronto that was, you know, really a champion of that work as well. And you know, what, what I realized um, really early into kind of my journey as a founder is that there's so much value in focusing on one demographic or focusing on one group. But as a founder, I really wanted to be a part of like opening up the industry of mm-hmm. venture capital and the industry of venture and redefining like what it means to be an mm-hmm. investor. Mm-hmm. For us specifically, that mm-hmm. just means full spectrum of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of concept of full spectrum inclusion has been a guiding principle for me and really thinking about what it means to include everyone mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in this transformation. And yeah, it's been a really crazy journey so far, like crazy in the best way. But um, yeah, we've learned so much about different groups and, and what they need and, and people's starting points in, in the past year and a half. Well, oh, I also want to say thanks for collaborating with us because, you know, mm. Onside is also a relatively new organization yeah. and we've got big dreams of things we want to do and, <laughs> you know, push the needle as well. So I, I, I want to thank you for working with us and collaborating with us. I think that's where some of the best partnerships exist, right? Where there's peers and, you know, we can really leverage the different areas of specialization or even just we're on opposite sides of the country Mm -hmm. we can leverage that so yeah i think that kind of secret sauce has worked really well for Mm -hmm. us (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we we love it too here you know what one of the things we want to make sure that is in our ecosystem is getting of course diverse perspectives and that also includes Mm -hmm. from voices and uh, folks from in different parts of uh, our beautiful country so I do appreciate bringing that perspective to all the things that we're doing here locally. We talked about this before around this idea of uh, creating wealth and pathways to wealth Mm. and opening up this asset class. And I think even you participated in our innovation tour this summer and helped us define a few speakers as well who who also talked about their experience as being a woman, Mm -hmm. pitching, trying to raise money, showing up, and um, also feeling that sort of disconnect around what they want to do, how they're treated. Can, yeah. can you talk a little bit about some of the things, And because and, not all of our listeners may be aware of kind of what's going on in the venture capital space yeah. or what has yeah. happened historically and, and might not know. So can you shed a little bit of light around kind of what's, what's going on in the venture capital space and why should people care about this sort of shift, which is fairly new? Like it's pretty new. Definitely new, yeah. <laughs> First off, we're experiencing a pretty significant transformation in venture right now. Mm-hmm. There's not only is there just a broader awareness of what venture capital is for mm-hmm. the first time ever, but there's also the industry in and of itself is innovating. It's coming into its own. There are new investment vehicles, there are new business models. There's 
new language or new players entering this game of venture very rapidly. I think anyone would be able to recognize that you know, even just, you know, when we hear about startups and tech, there's more, there's just more, there's mm-hmm. more, more companies, more funding. It probably doesn't mean a lot to folks who don't work in this space, but the, the number, like the dollar amount mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, the size of financing rounds is just like exponentially mm-hmm. growing. I'd say it, in some ways it's kind of concerning because no. <laughs> you, you wonder like, what is this bubble? Right. But What's happening? Is you that know, because beyond... of NFTs? Is that why? Is that what? You're, is that? What I you're mean, like... that's a whole other. Yeah, that's a whole other show. I think, <laughs> and it's a show that I will not be on because I actually a couple of weeks ago I was I you know put out to the Twitterverse that I am ready to learn two to three things about NFTs because it's, it's a whole other thing. But um, no, no, no. Um, but I think you know beyond you know just the economic or the industrial changes that are happening in VC, there is also similarly to a number of other parts of society and and the economy, there's also like this reckoning that's happening, Mm -hmm. I think. And there's a ton of clarity around the egregious lack of diversity in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, honestly, a big part of why we started with education is because there's almost a language barrier Mm -hmm. (laughs) between people that work in venture capital and everyone else. And that language barrier is very empowering to the people that can speak the language Mm -hmm. because they can just leave a bunch of people out of the conversation. But as we continue to build our network and we continue to meet and enable more individuals to understand what's Mm -hmm. happening in the space and like where the problems actually exist, you're seeing it's just becoming harder and harder for the industry itself to stay the same and to like maintain those really abysmal Mm. diversity metrics. So just, you know, on the baseline, Mm -hmm. you know, there's really, there's really just one demographic that Mm. controls majority of the capital going into companies, which includes making the decisions, but also includes earning the returns Mm -hmm. (laughs) from that capital. Mm -hmm. And beyond just the demographics of it all, the actual backgrounds and pathways into those roles uh, and into the space have been fairly limited historically. Mm. There's like two or three ways to get into VC. And so we're really just trying to change that at the ground level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you raise a really important point, which is um, if you don't know about it or and you don't have the language, mm-hmm. uh, you're right. You can you could be invited and just be completely sidelined because you just yeah. literally don't know the words. Your family uh, wasn't wealthy. There wasn't a lot of like financial literacy kicking around. People weren't talking about startups and VCs. Uh, Mm -hmm. And even if it's a good opportunity or something like that, you you could be completely just uninformed and kind of put to the side. So that basic sort of education piece is extremely critical, whether or not you decide to work for a VC or participate or make an investment, just understanding that there are these opportunities and how things work. I I remember this is like years ago. I remember um, taking some accounting classes. Oh, man, the fun, the fun of accounting. Um, But but I I had a mentor who encouraged me to take accounting, do all the classes and do all the coursework. And it completely changed my trajectory and moved me into the ability to work in finance and export finance and doing all kinds of things which if I had not taken those accounting courses, you know, I just, yeah. that would just not have been my 
you know, I was a social science person. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so when you're talking about your your undergrad and, and all that stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah. So it's always curious to me how people get on that uh, trajectory. So I, so I do think that education piece is a critical one and b- creating that space for, for people to come into the conversation. I would add, too, that it's not just the – I mean, financial literacy is definitely mm. at the core of our beginnings, but it's also that there are also these social – and cultural barriers that you've just identified mm-hmm. that I think need to be weaved in to mm-hmm. the, you know, the educational side of things. And I think that's really hard to do if you don't understand the barriers themselves and if you don't understand where people are starting. So I think that's one of the really unique things about our approach in mm-hmm. Future Capital is that, you know, I, I don't have a finance background. I'm not a banker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did work in BC. And so I can actually, you know, do the work of, you know, translating a lot of that information, but it's not, you know, it wasn't part of my culture, it wasn't part of, you know, the way I grew up. And so therefore our company and our team are really well positioned to help people genuinely understand what the hell everyone's talking about in venture capital. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I get it. Like, and I, and in my family, the the word startup or entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. or I remember my, my dad was a doctor and I think, I don't know, somewhere down the road, I think he realized, oh, man, I should know about money and finance. (laughs) And he started making investments. I wouldn't really say he was the best. Um, But, you know, he was he had something there. He he kind of like he was like, oh, I knew, you know, something was at work here. And for me personally, the first time, I think I had a boyfriend who encouraged me when I was in university to take a course in finance. Mm. And then that's how I got interested in the space. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of talking about diversity and and inclusion here. And we talked a little bit about some of the barriers and understanding communities and things like that. Do you have any advice for companies or whether they're VCs or or whatever that are trying to tackle this? Because yeah. you're you're right, the work you're doing, uh, some of the work we're trying to do, and the, the conversations in the last couple of years, looking at Black Lives Matter, looking at Me Too, you know, all of these movements recently, plus COVID are really making mm-hmm. people try to take a look at how our economy is structured, who has access to capital, who has access mm-hmm. to the ability to create jobs or all that kind of stuff. And so people are thinking about it. And sometimes people are a little nervous about what they should be doing. Do you have any advice for companies that are thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, first off, it's not an easy thing to solve. And I think you have to be okay with failing and (laughs) learning from those failures. And I think, you know, what we've seen over the past couple of years is a huge spectrum of how corporations are beginning to deal with, you know, social, political, environmental issues, right? Mm. And I think what's hard, you know, like I, my background is fairly corporate, like before, um, before I started working in the startup world and what's hard for companies is that there's like this pressure to get it right. Mm. (laughs) Um, and I think that pressure is increasing with, you know, the way accountability can Mm. kind of show up, like, and, and the access that people and customers and audiences have to a brand right Mm -hmm, through social mm -hmm. media so i think i don't obviously have all the the answers in terms of how to deal with this but i think what i've seen work really well is if there's a group that you're supporting let them be a 
you know, a huge part of the solution mm -hmm. and make sure that the economic structure on any work that they do to help you solve the problem is fair and generous. Because I think in 2020, you know, I'm, you know, like, as I mentioned, of Caribbean descent, I'm a black man. I'm, there's like a level of exasperation, I think, that a lot of people mm. were experiencing. And so there needs to be an exchange of value if, if folks are going to be asked to come to the table and help solve a problem. Um, there needs to be like a real motive and incentive beyond mm. them just getting, getting out of the nightmare that is, you know, mm. that was 2020. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think even more broadly speaking, I actually think just educating yourself is just so empowering and so important. And I think, you know, one of the things that I really value about my social sciences degree, I also mm -hmm. did social sciences mm -hmm. in the in university, is just like the ability to discern between like really good information and not so good information. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this day and age, getting good, solid information, educating yourself about the issues that you're trying to solve needs to be a starting point. You really just need to understand what's going on, where you're at, and understand what your role is in, in any kind of like social or political kind of challenge. Yeah, yeah. Like if for me in the morning, the first thing I do after I get my coffee, I sit down quietly and I usually just read. I just pick a yeah. book, any book, usually something not related to my work. I try to yeah. expand my horizons. I'm uh, reading a couple now around uh, diversity and I think a, a great one that a lot of people are reading are, you know, how to be an anti-racist. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I, did I get that one? Or I got another one. It was like one of the uh, uh, Ken X Ibrahim books. I should have probably got the smaller one because I, I got the like really thick one and I was like, yeah, I'm going to like plow through this right away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I was like, okay, you know, you just have to like take some time and focus on it. If you don't focus on it, then you're not going to change. Your perspective's not going to change. So so I think that's really important. The, the other thing there, I, yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. And the other thing that I would add is that educating yourself doesn't need to be dry or boring either. Mm. I think at this stage, we have so many outlets for mm. information. I think there are really, really good investigative podcasts or mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. podcasts are just just curious about a topic right and they talk to an expert and you go into that person's mind and and you know documentaries can be educational mm -hmm. and articles can be educational like i think as long as you're actually spending a meaningful amount of time like not mm -hmm. scrolling past something i mm -hmm. think that's that is not educational personally. <laughs> I, I don't think don't watch a whole bunch of tiktoks <laughs> no no, don't don't do that and, and think that you've learned something. <laughs> I That's watched three not. TikToks on diversity. I've got it covered. <laughs> no, yeah, I think yeah, it's like it doesn't need to be. You know, I'm going back to school and studying critical mm -hmm. race theory by mm -hmm. any means. Like, you don't even need to go anywhere near that. Like, you can just kind of absorb information, find like some trusted sources, have mm -hmm. conversations about this stuff. I actually do think just talking about it really helps people mm -hmm. to accept and appreciate other perspectives and. That should be like a lifelong pursuit. We're all we're, we're all mm. living together, right? Like, let's figure out how to do it well. Yeah, yeah. And for larger, you know, this is a, a another. So we spoke about this with another guest that we had, uh, Savior Joseph. I think you know him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we talked a little bit about how do you ensure that things are not tokenistic. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, organizations <laughs> try to do something. And it's, you know, a bit tokenistic. How can we help folks not do that? 
I mean, I have n- I have never heard of that happening ever. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Any I thoughts on that? Definitely lots of thoughts on that. And honestly, like experience with it as well. Mm. I think tokenism is a tricky thing. Mm. <laughs> it's, a mo- it's a moving, the goalposts are moving where tokenism is concerned. And I think a really good way to avoid falling into a space where you are leveraging someone, like what's unique about someone to tick a box is Mm. a really good way to avoid that is to integrate them into the work that you're doing Mm. at every level. And that includes the levels of an organization that profit from, Mm. (laughs) from the business. Right. Mm -hmm, So I think mm -hmm. it's a bit of a top down kind of shift that needs to happen, which is honestly a big part of why, you know, we're really focusing on this investor class. I think, apart from just the mindset shift that we're trying to create, we also, I, I, I personally like really believe that you really do have to have diversity at the, in the decision making mm-hmm. roles to have authentic, meaningful, considered solutions to some of the challenges that we're dealing with today. I, I look at like, I, you know, I'm not going to name any brands in particular, but I'll just say more, more kind of broadly, like the brands that I see, the brands and the corporations that I see doing a like really incredible job on corporate social responsibility. Typically, if you just, I mean, first of all, you just like do a couple clicks on their website, you can see their C-suite. Mm. And typically those brands have really diverse executives. Mm. And so it's going to be harder or less likely for them to fall into mm. the, the trap of tokenism because they actually have lived experience mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the groups that are underrepresented so i know that's not an easy answer for everybody Mm. especially for um you know organizations that like really don't have that diversity at the top level but i personally believe that that's actually the way to Mm -hmm. to move forward and and to avoid that problem yeah yeah i think that's so important the seat at the table the integration the thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. and and it's hard it's uh it's hard work it's hard work well, yeah, I have I have uh, I have one more question for you, which is not specifically on diversity and inclusion, but it's something that we love to ask all of our guests because, as you know, uh, onside we're focused on inclusive, innovation-driven entrepreneurship, and really trying to foster people's access to this kind of entrepreneurship because we think that. By participating in this, you know, we'll be able to create prosperous communities and diverse communities as well that are prospering. So I have a quick little question for you. It's not too deep, but it's one we always like to ask. And and that's really around entrepreneurship. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or are they made? That's an incredible question. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. And five years ago, if you asked me whether or not I would ever identify as one, I would have said no. Mm. So I think that means at least part of the answer is that they're made. I think I think you can develop a skill set, you can gather experiences, you can refine and improve your, your work ethic to get to a place that you can like actually be in the role of entrepreneur and be reasonably Mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. The part of it that I think is a little bit, maybe a little bit more related to personality is 
entrepreneurship, at least for me, and especially in, in venture, I think it's different than entrepreneurship in other kind of arenas. But when you're building a startup in particular, there's like <laughs> like a level of abuse that comes with building oh. a startup. <laughs> like just 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 from the actual like process. And you know, don't actually get you shouldn't actually get abused. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's really hard. It's really, really hard. It's really taxing. You don't you know, I I'm not a big promoter of like burnout culture or like you, you gotta really like hurt yourself mm. um, in order to be successful. But the truth of building a startup is you are trying to turn nothing into something. And, <laughs> and, and that is that requires constant effort for at least the first few years. So I think that part, that like inherent ambition and mm. relentless motivation and like being a self-starter and being, you know, really, really driven and really unsatisfied with anything other than the best out of yourself. I think that that part might be, you know, a, like a, a born mm. <laughs> trait, like that, that might mm. be nature versus, <laughs> versus nurture. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I can only say that from my own experience. I think that like that part I've always had, like I've always been really aggressive about like doing well and being productive and mm. like achieving things. And I think that part, I didn't figure out along the way that was always there, but the actual like parts of being an entrepreneur, you can learn, like you can mm -hmm. learn like the job for sure. You mm -hmm, can definitely mm -hmm. learn the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 At some point. Yeah. You're right. When you're, you're getting your teeth kicked in you have mm -hmm, to like, or mm -hmm. your knees knocked down, you have to have that internal drive that keeps getting you back up. To, I don't want to take the abuse, but to, you know, to feel, to feel that you can keep going. It's yeah. totally that. It's like getting back up because it's I, I recently described being a founder as standing in one place and having a bunch of spinning plates being thrown at your head. <laughs> I know it sounds so violent, but it's like it really is kind of how I see it sometimes. It's like you're just dodging like a bunch of things and and then you're hitting like a feeling of rock bottom so often mm -hmm. as a founder that it's just really easy to give up. Mm -hmm. It's just really easy to be like, you know what? Never mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to go back and get someone else to pay my bills, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and I think that like the persistence and that motivation, like you said, is, yeah, um, yeah that's a unique trait. I think that, that everybody doesn't have and not everybody needs. Okay. Okay. Well, Marlon, I just want to say, I really appreciate your insights today on our topic uh, which is around diversity inclusion, your mission that you're you're trying to accomplish with Future Capital in raising the bar and creating space for all kinds of people to participate in that asset class is well regarded from this side. And I'm happy to, to help you push that forward. For, for folks who are interested in learning more about you or about Future Capital, how can people find you? Yeah, well, thank you so much for bringing me on to this podcast and sharing your platform with me and with our team at Future Capital, as you have done so graciously in the past as well. So I'm really happy to be here. And the first place I would direct people to go to is myfuturecapital.com. Go check out our website, see what we do, follow us on LinkedIn. And we send out a monthly field guide that mm -hmm. is you know, educational in and of itself. And so if you want to start kind of just getting a sense of 
what's happening in the world of VC. Subscribe to our newsletter as well. Mm-hmm. My name is Marlon Thompson. You can find me on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. Well, with that, thanks. And uh, for our listeners today, you can also like and subscribe to our podcast and find us on our website at onsidenow.ca. Thanks. This has been a Podstarter production. production.